Hi everyone and happy new year. I hope everyone is staying strong with the continued restrictions. Thank you so much for listening to the BHA podcast. It's Essie, your players rep here. And before I give the mic to Rambo, I wanted to give everyone a little message out there about the new BHA development Instagram page I've set up and why you should all follow and get involved. So the goal of the page is to share useful content for teams that provide help with not only hockey training and knowledge to help your own game, but also general running of your clubs. Now, for example, some content that you can expect to see is around topics like off-ice training, how to recruit new players or get sponsors, reinforcing safety, um, drills, and sharing just any beneficial education material from already existing platforms like the EIJ and the IIHF. Now, for anyone who's interested in improving their game and increasing hockey and general sport knowledge and just making the most out of your time at your BIJ club, this page is definitely for you. Um, you can follow us at Dev on Instagram. That is B-Y-H-A-D-E-V. And we'd really appreciate your support and getting involved with it. Now, that's all from me. Thank you, everyone. And back to you, Rambo. Oh, It's in the danger zone. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Oh, no, sorry. We're sorry, we're laughing. It's just that was bad timing. Sorry, we're laughing. Hello, everybody, and welcome uh, to another edition of the BIHA podcast. I'm joined uh, by Nick. I'm glad to see you're no longer under the weather. Nick, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very well, thank you, Rambo. Yourself? I'm doing okay. Um, glad to be uh, podding with you again. Uh, I felt a bit lonely having to do my own intros last week, so. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's better it's better with you um and we've got a very special guest uh today um travis ward uh one of the directors of the ihe hello travis how are you doing hi how are you both today um nick uh, you want to you want to elaborate on on your uh your lurgy that you had last week and, and let us know no just to, to confirm for everybody it wasn't covid before um <coughs> that was that was your first question wasn't it um <laughs> No, uh, just a little bit under the weather with a with a head cold I'd been dealing with for a little while, which um, interrupted a call we were going to have last week. But um, but no, other than that, back to uh, same old, same old. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you've not uh, if you've not listened, folks, um, our podcast last week was with Ali Stead of uh, Never Too Late to Learn Hockey um, on Instagram, and uh, we get, it's pretty cool because she used to be in a band, and we get one of her tracks to play us out instead of our usual generic. Um, you know, bouncy music, so uh, even if you just listen to the end, it's worth it. Um, so anyway, um, Travis, we thought we'd get you on uh, and you could tell us a bit about you know, your work in sports. Uh, maybe if you can tell us a bit about uh, you know, how you got into hockey first and, and how you got into a career in sports in general. Yeah, I think first and foremost, I just want to thank you both for inviting me on. Um, this is my first podcast, I'm not really sure what to expect, but... Uh, really excited, nonetheless. Um, I'm not sure that we're the most traditional podcast, so uh, <laughs> expect unexpected, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
I'm I'm originally from Virginia, which is not necessarily, you know, an ice hockey hotbed. Um, and I kind of got into it a, a bit later. I was about 12 years old, and um, it was through one of my one of my good friends growing up. His dad had played at the University of Denver, um, and then played a little bit um, semi professional. And so I used to go over to his house, and he always had this, you know, his ice hockey memorabilia up, and he had his old gloves and and sticks and all and all this stuff. So we used to just you know take that out into his driveway and kind of mess about. Um, but the only problem was I, I had no idea how to skate whatsoever. Um, so naturally I ended up in goal, um, and just kind of fell in love with it. I, I don't know what it was. It was just, it was unlike any other sport I'd played before. Um, like I said, not, none of my other friends played it. It wasn't really a big, a big thing. So, um, just kind of gave it a try. And then that kind of turned into, well, you know, there's a ice rink and I grew up near Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, there was an ice rink there at the time and, you know, just ask my parents, you know, can, can I give this a, give this a try? And, you know, they, they said, yeah, which was, um, you know, it, it's not the, the cheapest sport. So kudos to my parents for willing to, you know, take the risk, but, you know, I'll never forget going and, and starting, um, in goal, still not knowing how to skate, wearing, you know, uh, roller hockey pads that were probably about 40 quid, um, you know, a plastic stick, all the whole nine yards. Um, and it just kind of started from there, but, um, you know, it was, I just loved the pace of the game. I loved, um, you know, you know, the goals, the hits, the, you know, the whole nine yards, you know, what, why we all get into it, um, was the same reason I was, I was so drawn to it. And that kind of spawned into, you know, a mild obsession, I think as a, as a teenager. And, you know, I went from not knowing how to skate to, to playing, um, travel hockey and then playing junior hockey and then, um, I, I tell people semi-professional, but I was essentially, you know, uh, a, a puck boy for the <laughs> for the Richmond Renegades um, in, in the um, Southern Professional Hockey League. So it was just it was just kind of how we all get into it. Just, um, you know, the, the fast pace that the, all of it was just, um, you know, kind of um, a big draw for me. Um and then, you know, after after high school, I, I went to West Virginia University um, with the intention to play club hockey. But um, between, you know, the football season, which for anyone that doesn't know, which is probably, I guess, most of the people listening, uh, West Virginia University is a big football school. Um, so between, you know, having to miss football games and obviously, you know, trying to concentrate on my studies, that wasn't really an option. So I kind of put hockey on the back burner um, for a couple of years and then kind of got back to it when I went to law school and had a bit um, more free time on my hands to, to, to play. Cool. And Nick, uh, just coming in on the, the goalie thing there, you obviously uh, have had, had your recent stint in goals. Uh, could you imagine trying it with uh, ill-fitting pads and stuff? Um, no. I think that was the, the the first thing that I decided on when, uh, when I took my venture into goal was I'm having first pick of the kit. I know what I need. If I don't get it, I'm not going in. So, um, as you said, kudos for that. Like, uh, especially as a first timer, jump making that jump. It seems to be that that's quite a it's quite a common thing, isn't it? Like from the stories that we've heard, Rambo, that you you get people that either have never tried it and never will, or that potentially jumped in straight from the off, which is uh, which is which is a pretty common thing, especially with uni. Like the the goalies that I've had over my nine years, like. Over half of them, especially obviously the beginners, um, aren't necessarily people who had any ambition at all of playing out. They were just like, "I want to be the goalie. I want to be the, I want to be the guy." So um, 
that's pretty uh it's pretty interesting that it, it kind of transcends as well um yeah I think that's 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 the case. I mean, I started off as a D-man and, and ended up in goals when I was seven um, with pads made out of horse hair, uh, which were really, really heavy. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was difficult, difficult times. Um, Travis, did you did you want to play a different position? Because I found when I was a when I was a D, I always wanted to be I always wanted to be a goalie. But then when I became a goalie, I wanted to be a centre or a winger. <laughs> so um, I've, tr- I've now tried them all, but uh, did you ever, do you ever play anywhere else? I think it, you know, depending on the game, obviously, you know, if I have a, a really good game and I'm shutting, you know, I have a shutout, I'm, I'm pretty excited about, you know, or pretty confident in, the, in, in my choice. Um, and then, you know, you have those games where maybe I had a bad game or maybe, you know, my defense, not, not to put the blame on them, but maybe they didn't have the best game and, um, you know, we had a, a narrow loss and I think, oh, I, I just wish I was in the other position now. Um, so, yeah, I think it just it went from game to game. But, uh, you know, I, I think in hindsight, I was I was happy with my choice. Cool. cool. Um, and uh, I, I, I will say, I think it takes a, you, you got to have a certain level of of a bit of a crazy to be in goal, I think, because it's it's a lonely position. Oh, yeah, I think uh, we've um, we've we've had that long established on on the podcast certainly Nicky would you agree with that yeah I until the first time I went in goal I can remember what the first game that we played I think there was obviously just kind of nerves in terms of like if the puck comes towards me like if I mess this up well I'm I'm in big trouble especially um being quite an established presence around the team etc and kind of jumping in to to help out there was an expectation that I wasn't going to be terrible but um yeah I, I had no idea like when you when you play as a forward or you play as a skater, like the game seems to pass by really quickly. Like your sixty minutes or your um, your twenty minutes or your fifteen minutes that you might be playing another game, it seems to fly by. But I'd never appreciated how long a hockey game was until I'd been in goal before. And you stand there watching the most boring, tedious destruction of a team at the other end of the ice rink from your own goal, being like, I just wish like. This would be a perfect time for my D-man to blow a tire. They can get a breakaway. Like, at least I might be able to do something rather than... You, you just sit there and make things up in your own head. There's a lot of time of just you by yourself and potentially no one within 50 feet of you. Um, just trying to amuse yourself and keep yourself active. But um, no, it's a, it's a unique scenario, I think. Yeah, I will say there's no longer period of time um, than the last five minutes of a close hockey game when you're the goalie. 100%. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I do have some bad news for you, though, Travis. Um, I did uh, cheer for Virginia Tech in a couple of uh, bowl games. Um, oh, no. Uh, so I do, I do, I do apologize. Well, with that, it's been nice talking to you guys. And <laughs> you. Okay. Um, so you you, um, you mentioned going to Virginia Tech there. And did you say you played football as well? I didn't. I did not go to Virginia Tech. Um, uh, West Virginia, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to put this into into English ice hockey terms, but that is, I mean, that's a cardinal sin, mixing those two. It's like saying a a, a Steelers uh, a Steelers fan's a Panthers fan, I guess. Um, for oh God, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it, yeah, it's bad. Uh, no, I um yeah, I went to I think every West Virginia home game while I was while I was there. Um, it was just kind of something that I hadn't experienced um you know going to these these massive games 60,000 people in, in the stadiums and it's you know NFL quality in terms of the atmosphere and um you know it was just 
it was a great time. I, uh, you know, so obviously living living in the UK, it's it's tougher to go go back to to see those games, um, pandemic aside. Um, but yeah, it's just a great experience. In in terms of uh, in terms of college college sport in in the states, um, I mean, over here, the the elite league is obviously the highest form of league. It's the biggest attended league, but is college sort of almost as well attended in certain sports as it, as it is in the professional game? I mean, what, what's the diff- what's yeah. the atmosphere like there? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it, it depends on obviously what university we're talking about and also what professional team we're talking about and, and, you know, obviously what sport. But, you know, I will say at West Virginia, it's again, 60,000 fans. And that wasn't we weren't even close to one of the biggest, you know, stadiums. I think Michigan is the biggest hundred and ten thousand maybe. Um, so just absolutely absurd numbers, and and you won't see that in the NFL, no matter what stadium you go to. Um, but you know, it, same thing with basketball. I mean, you you have basketball. I think Syracuse. So Syracuse, they they turn their football stadium into a, a basketball arena. It's like a multi-purpose facility, um, and so they'll have fifty thousand people watch a basketball game, and it's just absolutely absurd. So um, yeah, there's definitely it, obviously it you know it depends, but there's there's definite um you know a, a massive amount of support for for college athletics in in the u.s and uh, nick what do you think of that i mean we we're happy when we get 110 people at a game as being a massive crowd what, what's what's your thoughts on, on maybe skating out to 110,000? um yeah i i completely agree the the times that i've played in front of people um, you do notice that they're there as as little as difference in terms of numbers it actually makes, but it, it's in what a, what a, an incredible introduction for all these like young athletes coming through like the college system to then. I, I think it makes a big difference. Like when people are now talking about these athletes are succeeding at such a young age in terms of like I know. So going on to the NFL topic, they keep talking about obviously quarterbacks being ready as soon as they come into the league to be to be impact makers and, and make a big difference for teams it's probably because they've had those pressure situations and and be, been in big arenas and had fans there that to be honest it's, it's just another day by that point i know they're then getting paid uh, paid a significant amount of money and it can affect people in different ways but yeah it, that that must be an incredible kind of tuition into what basically the next part of their life is going to be about Um, yeah, I, I I think so. I mean, I can I can't imagine having played for say the Eagles and then going out to play for even the Racers, where you go from, as I say, 110. I think is the biggest crowd that perhaps the Eagles would ever have had, to maybe going out to play again in front of even 1,500 fans, um, would be a massive sort of jump. Um, so yeah, I do I do think that that readies you more for for a professional game. Is that is that kind of the case? Do you think, Travis, for American athletes? Yeah, it might be. And I think, you know, with, with especially these larger universities, you know, the, the alumni are so passionate and the, the, you know, everything kind of rides on you. If you go to a, a recent football powerhouse is the University of Clemson. And, you know, if you go to the University of Clemson, you know, you're, you're really highly touted out of high school. You know, you've got 80,000 people cheering for you or booing you at, uh, at, a, at any game. Um, so there is that pressure. So I think, you know, to your point, I think that probably does prepare them a little bit better than maybe um, it used to where maybe the crowds weren't as big. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, definitely, definitely massive. Yeah. No, um, what, what's it? What's the beer prices like at a university game in uh, 
in in the states. I mean, we we generally here, um, if we have beer, sneaked it into the ice rink ourselves. But what what was the what's the sort of the chat with the beer and the and sundries at the game? Yeah, so historically, um, alcohol was actually banned at university athletic facilities. So, um, I, you know, back in my college days, you know, you couldn't bring anything into the stadium. You couldn't get a beer at the stadium. You again had to wait until the end of the game. Um, and then if you were playing at a professional stadium, so, if, you know, if West Virginia is playing at a neutral site, maybe we're playing in um, you know, Charlotte where the Panthers play, then obviously you can, you can buy beer there, but um, they did change it. I think after I left when I was in law school, they made the change at my alma mater and um, started selling beer, which I, I think was, maybe eight dollars so uh, i don't know six pounds ish um which was which for west virginia is astronomical um because it's qu- usually quite cheap um down there but um they definitely inflate the prices a bit to try to i think you know one make the income and two deter people from uh, in overindulging that's fair enough uh, nick you know we you know it's a Brit- traditional bha podcast when we start asking about beer prices so um had to, Very be, much. <laughs> to be done. Um, I, can't, I can't imagine nationals having beer banned in it <laughs> that anybody would show up. Uh, <laughs> um, so um, you 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 went to West Virginia first, and then you said you went to law school. Did you was law school at a different place then? Was it? Yeah. So unlike over here in the U.S., you have to kind of go through two levels of of post high school education. Um, so you go to university, you, you do your four years there, and then you go to law school for an additional three years. And um, so after West Virginia, I went to law school at the University of Richmond, which is um, close to where I kind of grew up. So I basically went back home and um, and um, you know studied there. And um, and from there, uh, we obviously we we talked about this just before we came on to the podcast. You you sort of made your way to to working in the NFL. Can you tell us a bit about how you, about your journey to, to that sort of career path and, and then what, yeah. you got, what it was like working, working for such a big company, essentially. Yeah. Um, I, I really started getting into the idea of really the international series. Um, my wife's from the UK. So I was in law school. I was kind of interested in that U S UK dynamic that the end of really successfully uh, put together. And so I started doing a bit of research um, as part of a sports law course into the viability of an NFL franchise in, in the UK. Um, and that was kind of like a limited project. So, again, after doing a bit of research, I realized I had more questions than I had answered. Um, so I started doing some um, independent research, which then led to me kind of turning that into my law school thesis, where I looked at some of the legal obstacles um, as well as some of the practical obstacles such as um, you know the scheduling side of things where you put a team uh, practice facility marketing you know so on and so forth and I put together this comprehensive um, report um, as part of my, my law school thesis which I then uh, kind of took around to the NFL I tried to get in people you know I, I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do um, I was so intrigued with the idea of moving an NFL team to the UK and having this multinational um, league that I, I was trying to see if I could, you know, get in, get any traction from it. Um, so I kind of just cold called people, the NFL, try to get meetings with people, try to present my ideas. Um, I ended up meeting with Mark Waller, who was then the executive vice president of international. And 
um, kind of pitched him some of my ideas and just said, look, you know, I'm, I, I'm not asking for a job, but if there's just, you know, anything that I could just be involved in this, um, that would be fantastic. But unfortunately, it wasn't the right timing. They didn't have anything. They didn't have an internship opportunity or anything like that. So I kind of put it on the back burner. I, I, I moved to New York with my wife kind of on a whim. I was just hoping that something would work out. Um, and then about six months into New York, I was working at a, a bankruptcy law firm downtown um, and a job opportunity came up in a different department. Um, so it wasn't international, but it was related to uh, labor policies, uh, which kind of it fit the description. They wanted a lawyer. They wanted you know someone with a legal background, policy writing background, so on and so forth. So I kind of applied for it and you know, luck would have it after a series of interviews, I was offered the job and um, that's kind of how the journey started. Okay. Um, Nick, any questions on the, on the back of that? Cool. I, like to, I like to let you ask a question now and again, because, you know. <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think, to be honest on that one, Rambo, I've got, I've got probably a million questions, but probably none of them are either going to be relevant or, or probably <laughs> worth asking. I'm going to defer to you as the, as the larger NFL note. There was a big, uh, a big kind of Easter egg of information there that I'm sure you're, you're sitting on God knows, how many, uh, God knows how many questions. So I'm not going to waste time. I'm just going to defer to you. Oh, right. Well, um, well, first and foremost, how long did you sort of well, did you stay in the NFL, and did you ever get the chance to to influence any of the the international policy? I was a frequent go to international games with my grandpa, uh, just before the um the the sort of the pandemic when all the games were coming. Um, unfortunately, he's passed away now, but um, it was definitely something that was great for for getting fans who maybe couldn't travel to the USA or or couldn't afford to travel to the USA. Um, to give them a chance to see some live football. So, did you did you play any hand in that, or was it was it mainly legal policy writing you you stuck with? Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I, I kind of once I, I I got in to the NFL, I, I didn't really I didn't have the opportunity to kind of pick that side of it back up. Um, not for lack of trying, um, but the position that I was. I was eventually hired for was was really a perfect fit for me. Um, like I said, it, it worked with the labor policy side of things. So I worked in the NFL Management Council, which if you if you don't know, or for the listeners who don't know, it's the the side of the NFL that handles the um, collective bargaining agreement and that employee employee employer relationship between the NFL and the players. So my role was essentially working with the three main labor policies, which was the uh, policy. Um, performance-enhancing substances, um, also known as the steroid policy, uh, the policy and program on substances of abuse, aka the drug policy, and the personal conduct policy, which kind of handled anything that wasn't drug or steroid-related that involved conduct off off the field. Um, and that was really uh, that was a great learning experience. I had never worked in anti-doping before, um, but it became you know kind of a real passion of mine. I, I enjoyed the you know, the, the policy writing side, I enjoyed enforcing the policy. You know, I'm, I'm the big uh, proponent of fair play and, um, you know, justice. And so for me to, to be able to help the NFL, um, you know, regulate the, the use of, of illicit substances um, was, was really a big driving force for me. Um, and it was a, it was a great, you know, role. I, I worked under Adolfo Birch, who was the SVP of labor policies, who's, one of the greatest humans of all time. He's my mentor and, and just could not have been any more fantastic. And, um, you know, I was able to 
um, you know, administer those policies, um, keep track of, um, you know, the different elements because they're, they're various stages within each policy in terms of, um, you know, assessment and um, discipline. Um, so keeping track of that as well as, you know, having the opportunity to, to represent the NFL in, in the various um, arbitration hearings. And um, so it was a great, great experience for me. It, it prepared me, I think, for, um, you know, major sports and professional life. And um, it was, yeah, it was all, all around a great experience. Fantastic. Um, and I, I mean, I get a little bit lost with some of the things, but it, when you said personal conduct policy, is that the sort of thing where when players are maybe, you know, on the wrong side of the law, they, they get suspended by the league, even though they're being dealt with under the law, you know, if it's drunk driving or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. So, um, so with drunk driving or, or any alcohol related um, violation that would be handled under the substances of abuse policy, which the primary purpose of that policy wasn't discipline. It was rehabilitation and assessment. So, um, you know, it wasn't just you got a DUI. So now we're going to suspend you for half the season or anything like that. It was really about assessing whether an individual had a, a, a real problem or an addiction or whether it was just an isolated event and then making sure that they got kind of got on the right track, um, which was, again, kind of a rewarding side um, of things. But the personal conduct policy was, you know, really things like, um, you know, domestic violence or um, I mean, it could be really anything not related to alcohol. So trying to think of some of that was really a big one. We had insider trading. Um, we, we had instances where, um, you know, it may be the, the, a coach's conduct was um, kind of outside the, the rules of the game. Was there anything that could, that kind of could put the, the NFL or the game of football in, in disrepute? Um, so it was quite a, a broad policy. Um, but and that that was kind of off the back of the the Ray Rice um, situation a couple of years uh, prior to my um, involvement in the NFL. So it was a really robust policy and um, was meant to kind of cover pretty much anything that that could possibly happen. Um, but I will say, you know, that sounds all terrible, but 99 percent of the players aren't, aren't going to be disciplined under any of the policies. You know, the NFL is full of some really, really great and professional individuals who, who give back to the community and who are really upstanding citizens. Yeah, I guess it's the one percent that maybe cross a line that sell papers um, or, you know, or, or get new, new subscriptions. And that's why they're the ones that people maybe hear of the most, I, I suppose. Um, Nick, you, you maybe agree with that in terms of certain things that come out. It's always the bad stuff that we hear first. Yeah, exactly. The, <clears throat> the media is always very quick to jump on uh, jump on the bad characters and perhaps doesn't spend enough time commending commending the good characters who do do a lot for uh, the communities and, and do give back. Like um, these are people who do have a lot of influence and a lot of power and a lot of money, and a lot of them do use that for uh, the vast majority do use that for good. So yeah, I think that can be seen. One of the things that the NFL has um, is the Walter Payton Man of the Year, and if you go and look at what some of the the players that have been nominated for that do it's uh i think it's uh, i think that you can see the vast majority of them do really good things is that is that is that the case travis is that correct yeah that? it is and i love the walter payton award because it's you know you, sometimes you got have guys that maybe they don't have the biggest impact on the field but their reach outside of the field is is so massive and it's a real testament to their, their character and, and the type of human beings that the nfl has 
So um, how, how long did you did you remain with the, the NFL and was it straight to Britain after that or um, did you have another another job in between? Yeah, no, it was it was straight to the UK. Um, I started working at the NFL in January of 2016 and I left in July of 2019. So I was there for three and a half years. Um, and that was just kind of off the back of my wife and I deciding that, you know, we kind of hit a, hit a ceiling in terms of our careers. Um, we also knew that we didn't want to stay in New York, um, you know, for the rest of our lives. It, we're, you know, we live in a one bedroom apartment, it wasn't a place to to raise a family or anything like that. So we kind of made the decision to come across the pond. And um, yeah, so I've been here since July of 2019, went straight from the NFL right right over. Okay, well, before we get into you coming coming to Britain and and obviously your involvement with the IHA and, and you know where we maybe see hockey going in the in the UK, um, I guess since since the Super Bowls in seven days time at the date of recording, I think we should maybe have a little bit of chat around that. Um, I don't know if you've been following it much this year, Travis. I mean, there's not much else to do, so I guess sports has been a bit of a welcome distraction. <laughs> yeah. Um... I will say I don't follow it as much as I, I used to, uh, but that's I think that's to be expected. I used to get paid to go to games and watch watch them on TV, so I was <laughs> I was I was doing my job. So so now it's um, I, I think I'm more able to focus on on one team. I I support the Green Bay Packers, so this is a it's a bit of a raw Super Bowl preview for me. Um, but uh, you know I, I've I've been following them this season, but I, I'll be honest, I haven't been following all 32. Um, so I, I had to do some some research before this because I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was talking about. That's good. And the first question I'll ask you then is, why kick a field goal when you're eight points back with just over two and a half minutes? <laughs> That's a fantastic question. I've been asking myself that all week. <laughs> Sorry, I hate to bring it up, but that is that. Um, I really wanted the Green Bay Packers to win that game as well because I, I think Aaron Rodgers is just fantastic. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for those of you who don't follow the NFL. And uh, a fantastic player, and it would have been good to see him in the Super Bowl. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I went back after that game and looked up the, the stat line, and I just I can't believe we lost. It was just just the, a game of missed opportunities. It wasn't just the one, you know, the one bad call. Um, it was just one thing after another, just the wrong timing, and and obviously, you know, it's it's pretty difficult to shut down Tom Brady, no matter what. TV's playing on. Yeah, yeah. So do, do you think, um, for, for people that don't know, um, Tom Brady used to be in a team called the New England Patriots. Um, it's one of two teams that I never let my grandpa buy a top for, the New England Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys. It'd be the equivalent of uh, me buying a Nottingham Mavericks jersey or a Sheffield Bears jersey. So um, he uh, he moved and there was always a question if it was him or if it was the coach that was there. The superstar and, and bringing all these Super Bowls, but do you think um, now that Tom Brady's in a Super Bowl with a different team, that's been answered? Uh, I think we'll have to see on next Sunday, um, because I will say that you know there is this Tom Brady factor, and I know he's 43 now, so he's not in his heyday, but he's still you know he's still probably the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, so we'll see on Sunday, but I will say I think. And I'm sure you're going to ask me about my prediction, so this will probably give it away. Um, but I think he's missing something from the sideline, and you know he doesn't have that shut down, um, defensive-minded head coach because um, Bill Belichick's still in New England, and, and 
nothing against Bruce Arians and nothing against Todd Bowles, who's the defensive coordinator and is a fantastic defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, you look at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago when, um, you know, the, the Patriots beat the Rams and what probably will go down as the most boring Super Bowl of all time. Um, and the Rams only had three points and they were an absolute juggernaut um, during the regular season. And um, I just I, I just don't know if if despite the Bucks having that that great defense, I just don't know if um, they're going to be able to pull it off on on Sunday because um, Tom Brady's fantastic, but he can only control one side of the ball. Um, yeah, thanks for bringing up the Super Bowl that I didn't want to remember uh, being a Rams fan. <laughs> uh... <laughs> well, we're both just licking old wounds now. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I found out today the Rams uh, traded for uh, Matthew Stafford, so that, that should hopefully bring us better fortune at the quarterback <laughs> position. Um, so, uh, Nick, have you, have you got any questions on the Super Bowl? Because um, I did, I did ask you to prepare some, and, and I thought maybe you'd have some. some... What questions on the Super Bowl? What to to get you both in on? Um, no, I, I was just thinking there. I think I kind of agree with with what Travis was saying there. Um, uh, what, what what you were both saying? I, I don't think they've necessarily they've not got that defensive kind of mindset potentially. That do you do you not think that potentially the Bucks are going to go into this looking for a bit of a gunfight with the uh, with Kansas City, which um, I think there's been a lot of teams found out that that's not necessarily the uh, the way to the way to pick that cherry from that tree. So um, it could be interesting. I, I think you're either going to get a really um, a really different Super Bowl, which similar to the to the Rams one that you were talking about, that you might just get this defensive annulment of both sides, and they've both concentrated so much on that, or you might just get an absolute um, an absolute gunfight where it'll be uh, last possession wins as much as anything else, which. I don't know. I could see um, I could see Tampa Bay rolling out to a rolling out to a lead, which I know is not very Brady like in a Super Bowl early on. But um, I think uh, from what I was looking at, Kansas City seemed to uh, seemed to hit a different gear when they're behind. So I think for the sake of a good Super Bowl, that'd be quite good to see. Yeah. Do you think Do you think we've got a gunfight in, in you know or, uh, with the with the two quarterbacks and just lots of offense, or do you think it will sort of be a balance or totally defensive what, what would you think Travis yeah I I, I think it's going to be definitely a gunfight I think you know you look at the the stats and both of these teams are two of the best passing offenses in the in the NFL Patrick Mahomes is the highest paid player in the NFL for a reason I mean he's he's unbelievable um so I, I think I, I think it is going to be you know a battle of of uh the passers neither defense is particularly exceptional at defending the pass the the Bucks have the best run defense in in the NFL, but the Chiefs don't really run the ball. So um, I would be very surprised if it was a low scoring affair. I think you know we're looking at probably at least fifty to sixty points, you know, between the two teams. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm hoping for the neutral sake as well, since I I don't really have a, a a horse in the race that it is a bit more of offensive masterclass with some kind of crazy trick plays where. Tom Brady catches a touchdown pass or something from, you know, from Antonio Brown or <laughs> something ridiculous like that. But um, because because of the way the the Bucks handle Green Bay, I, I could also see them slowing down the Chiefs. I think that's the one team that maybe could have done that. I'm not sure if other teams could have, apart from potentially the Rams with that defense they had before they that they didn't have any offense, so they were never going to compete with them. Um, so yeah, Nick, I, I think it could be. Uh, I'm hoping it's a, a bit of a, a slinging match, but otherwise, I do think there could be 
a bit more balance to it than perhaps we perhaps we think. Um, what, what do you think is the most um, important position group in this game in terms of do you, do you know do you think it's a defensive the defensive uh, lines or offensive lines that sort of thing? What, what do you think is the most important position group in this game? I think given the the two quarterbacks who are playing, you got to look at the safeties and the cornerbacks, the guys who are the last line of defense, the guys who are going to be manning up against the wide receivers because if they're on their game and they can kind of throw you know, the other team's quarterback off, I think that team's going to be more likely to be successful. Um, and then, you know, special teams, that's kind of, if anyone follows American football, that's the most cliche thing to say is that special teams win your games. But, um, you know, it might come down to a last second field goal or, uh, you know, will someone muff a punt? Will someone um, return a, a kickoff for a touchdown? That Those are the type of plays that can really inject some momentum um, in one team and, and deflate the momentum from the other team. So um, I think those those two areas are going to be really key. Um, one last thing, and I'll put it to both of you, because Nick, I know you follow the NFL a little bit. So um, I'll let you go first when I ask this question, and then Travis can give us a more intelligent answer. Um, and <laughs> um, do you think that Tom Brady is perhaps the last of a sort of, or the the last master of a dying art and being the sort of the traditional pocket passer, and we're now going to have lots, lots more mobile, fast running quarterbacks? Yeah, that seems that seems to be the <clears throat> okay. So so putting it in a in something that I understand a little bit more, it's a little bit like saying what the NHL twenty years ago was the clutch and grab kind of. Pick the pick the big guys. You want the big grinders, <clears throat> and the transition now is is the speed game, and it's not necessarily about that. It's not about your size. It's about how quickly you can skate and and do the rest of it. And yeah, I think the transition in the NFL is pretty similar when you look at the the breed of quarterback that was coming through previously to what you've kind of got now in terms of yeah, Tom Brady is probably one of the last last of a dying art of kind of that pocket quarterback versus well look at Mahomes and look at some of the other guys in the league and these young kids coming through and it's anything but it's kind of a not necessarily throw the playbook out the window but how do you try and contain that in terms of uh, suddenly they've got that athletic athletic quality to kind of run away and escape pressure and, and kind of flip whatever coverage on their heads so so yeah I would say so I, I, I don't know whether in the future it might change back to that and it, you might get the occasional kind of anomaly in terms of uh, big guy who's not as mobile mobile but's got an absolute cannon of a cannon of an arm if you know what I mean so but yeah I think um this is two very contrasting styles and probably the last time that you're going to see it potentially then Travis what do you what do you think on that sort of point yeah I think I think it's hard to tell because you know the NFL has its different um you know strategies it seems like every couple of years so you know, so you'll see um, you know, it was a massive running game and running backs with the number one overall running went into the background and now it's the mobile quarterback. And so will it continue to be the mobile quarterback or will we see kind of, uh, you know, maybe half the team is playing with a more mobile guy like a Mahomes and half the team, half the team's playing with a, a pure pocket passer like Tom Brady. Um, but I mean, when you look at someone like Patrick Mahomes, I mean, he can do it in the air. He can do it on the ground. He He's. He's so multidimensional that if you have a chance to get a guy like that, it doesn't matter what style your your offense is, you're going to work around him and he's going to be able to execute no matter what. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know, to be honest. I don't know whether 
Um, I don't know that I'd go as far as to say that the pure pocket passer is dead because um, I think you've got a guy in Trevor Lawrence who, who, who can run, but he's, he's known as a really a pocket passer guy. And he's, I'd be surprised if he doesn't go first overall in the upcoming draft. So um, I won't say that Tom Brady will be the last of a dying breed, but I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we see more uh, mobile quarterbacks in the NFL, e- even than we have today, which is, is already on, on the up and up. Okay. Lastly, before we get to the um, sort of a couple of over under what's more likely questions, um, do, do you think that the, in terms of American sort of North American sports, that the NFL is the, the one where the draft matters most? Uh, yeah, I would say yes, because I think it's you're expected to make an impact immediately. Um, so unlike the NHL and even uh, and definitely MLB and, and even the NBA, there's not really a minor league system. So if you don't make the NFL, that, that's kind of that's it for you. I mean, I know there's been a couple leagues that have tried to come up with the USFL and um, American Football Alliance or, or whatever it was called. Um and they kind of come and go pretty quickly. And, um, you know, so it's kind of make or break. So you could be the first overall pick and you're expected to play like a first overall pick. And if it's your third season and you're not the best player on the team, you kind of get looked over. Um, so I think from both a team perspective and that you're kind of putting all of your eggs into this one basket, you know, you're saying you're our guy and you have to be our guy. And then from a player perspective, it's, you know, you're this team's guy. You need to get it done really from the jump. Um, so there's there's less opportunity, I think, for, for post-collegiate development. And, and obviously there are exceptions to the rule, um, but it is it, it's it's absolutely critical. Yeah, cool. Um, right. We'll do some predictions. Nick, did you did you prepare any uh, any over under or what's more likely questions or or is this? No, I, 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 I'll see where you go with yours first. See if there's anything that I can think of. OK, the, the first thing was um, that I was going to ask is. In terms of um, in terms of the scoring in this game, what's what's more likely that we get a safety, or we get more than one pick six or fumble recovery for a, a touchdown? So what what do you think, Travis? What would you say is more likely? I think we're more likely to get a safety, um, just because the yeah I think you've got two really good defensive lines so they're gonna they, they'll probably be able, to be able to get to the quarterback at some point or the running back if, if he's handed it off um, and I just don't see Mahomes and um, Brady probably throwing two picks at all much less pick sixes um, and you know two two fumble recoveries for for a touchdown or I think that's a high ask in, in any game so I'm gonna go with the safety. Okay, Nick, would you would you agree with that? Or are you, are you, are you otherwise minded? I'm, I'm, I'm going to fl- throw it out and go the flip side. Um, if we're going to go for a, an offensive game, I think you're going to. Well, I think you saw it in the uh, in the conference finals, kind of Brady second half, just kind of threw, not necessarily caution to the wind, but wasn't necessarily on the same page. I, I think there's chances that um, the defense is going to get some scoring in this game, so I'm, I'm going to go that side. Okay, and then my, my my second what's more likely, which is a little bit um, a little bit off the cuff, because we assume that will be Brady or Mahomes that will get MVP. So, <laughs> but what do you think is more likely? Um, someone like the Honey Badger, so a defensive player getting MVP uh, for making some big impact plays, or someone more like a wide receiver? 
I think uh, a hundred honey badger type guy because um, you know if I hate to say it, but if if Tom Brady and or Patrick Mahomes is, is slanging the ball there and it doesn't matter if they you know send it to the same wide receiver the whole night, they're, they're going to give the MVP probably to the quarterback. Um, so I think you're more likely to see a guy, not not just the big plays, you know, like a pick six or, or something like that, but just playing solid defense and, and being relentless and playing hard. I think, you know, you're more likely to see that. Nick, would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, it's it's one of those things that uh, it's a little it's, the, the NFL is a little bit like the opposite of the hockey thing, which is you can get a 50 goal scorer in hockey. You might have had the same guy giving 50 assists, but it's all about the goal scorer. In the NFL, it's the opposite way around. You could have a wide receiver who's going to receive and get four touchdowns in the Super Bowl, but at the end of the day, he's had those four passes from the the same quarterback, and it will always be the quarterback that gets the bigger uh, the bigger accolades. So I'd, I'd yeah, it'll end up being your your kind of defensive player who'd be the more likely, I think there. Okay, and before we get to predictions, um, just uh, over under. 65 points in this game. I'm going to say under, but I don't think it's going to be under by a lot. So I said it quite good there because I was hoping I didn't do it a ridiculous one way or another. Yeah, I, I I think you've got it about right there. I think if you'd have said 55, I'd have said over. But 65, I, yeah, I'm probably going under as well. Okay, well, before we get to your predictions, I can tell you that I did ask, I did ask a couple of people, but the one guy that got back to me... Um, Apart from Sean Monkhouse, who didn't give me a score prediction, but Matt Diabol predicts that it'll be 41 to 27 to the Chiefs, which is obviously predicting 68 points. So, so he's obviously taking it, taking the over in that one, and he gave me a specific score. Um, Sean Monkhouse, I believe, took. Uh, I'll double check because um, I've got it here somewhere. Sean, that's a tough one. He would go with Brady, so uh, he's obviously going with the uh, the seasoned veteran over young Mahomes, but obviously young Mahomes is the youngest player ever to go back-to-back Super Bowls, so uh, I don't think there's anything that you can't he can't do. So, um, Nick, I'll go to you first. What's, what's your score prediction for this Super Bowl? Score prediction, I think it's a one-score game. I think it'll be <clears throat> early, well, let's think. Let's, let's, let's go for something simple. Let's go like 35, um, 35-28, something like that, but I think... I think Brady's going to find a way to do it and prove that he's prove that he is the best. I think um, he took personal offense to being told that he was done and basically kind of being run out of New England. I think he's the kind of guy who's going to put a big uh, a big something up up everyone who, who doubted him. So I, I think yeah, I think he'll do it. Okay, I think the books. Travis, what's your uh, what's your score prediction? Yeah, so I think I kind of gave the, my prediction for the result away a bit earlier, and I think the Chiefs are going to be successful. But I, I've got the final scores, 34-24. I think Brady's going to have a good game, but Mahomes is going to take it to another level. And um, I, I just think that the Chiefs are, are just a better team. I think all around they're a better team, and um, I think they're going to get the job done again. Well, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to back the Chiefs. I do think the Chiefs will ultimately win the Super Bowl. But I'm going to say, say that it's all going to come down to Harrison Butker right at the end. Um, and I'm going to go with it being um, 31-28. Uh, just him finishing it off. Four four touchdowns apiece, Harrison Butker. And the final drive, Mahomes gets them into field goal position. Kicks it, breaks Tampa Bay's heart, heart in their back garden. And uh, 
and wins the Super Bowl again for the Chiefs. And Big Red gets another cheeseburger. Um, so, <laughs> um, so that that sort of concludes our, our Super Bowl chat um, for everyone. That for anyone who's not sure what football is in America, um, we're not talking soccer or the NFL is. Um, there will be a little bonus podcast coming out where I have Roger Goodgroves from NFL UK, who is a referee, who's explaining some of the, the rules and talking a bit about the game as well. Um, and also um, a, another bonus interview with uh, the pen, who's a good friend of mine, who's uh, in East football as well. So that'll be coming out um, sort of just shortly after this podcast too. So um, give them a listen. Right. So um, we'll do the, we'll do our goodbyes, Nick, and then we'll, uh, we'll, um, Obviously, I have Travis back in the 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 following the week after the Super Bowl for part two, talking about um, the IHA. So uh, that's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me.